1: Kia ora, I'm Philippa Tone and welcome to the Long Read from Stuff. This week's story from The Post is called Inside the Lives of Homeless Women in Aotearoa. It's written by Hannah McCullum, who's with us now. Welcome. Kia ora. Hannah, I think many people associate homelessness with men, but it is a real problem among
2: women as well. Yeah, definitely. I think many people would be surprised to know women actually make up just over half of our homeless population just because they're not as visible. Um, I think there's a misconception that homelessness is just about people living on the streets when it includes people living in tents, in their cars, maybe violent partners just to have a roof over their head and women tend to choose those options because it's deemed safer. So it's sort of an out-of-sight, out-of-mind issue? A little bit, yeah.
1: So for men and women, do they face very
2: different challenges if they find
1: themselves in a homeless situation in
2: a way I think um, they do based on the fact that they are overlooked so policies don't target what their specific experiences look like which is an issue but I also think people's perception of these things played a huge part in perpetuating stigma and inequality
1: Yeah, you know, we do have, I suppose, that quite stereotypical view of, you know, somebody with a blanket on the street. That's sort of the the idea that pops into mind. Um, And we don't often have an opportunity to talk to people about their experiences and what it's like. After you wrote the story and you spent time with with homeless women, you know, what were the feelings
2: and what were your, you know, reflections after that? The women sleeping on the streets rough, uh, I guess, are most accessible in a way, but they tend to be the most vulnerable as well so um, it definitely took time to find the right people who had enough stability to be able to talk about their experiences and being conscious of the implications of sharing this story publicly. It was definitely hard hitting to sit with people and hear about their experiences. Often there's a lot of trauma involved and yeah just kind of hearing them go through all the motions while they answered questions Um, but Ultimately, I feel grateful to be able to share those stories because um, people can have a lot of ideas about things that they've never experienced before, and it's always really important to hear from the people who do have the lived experience. Yeah, wonderful to get that insight. Thanks, Hannah. Now, here is Imogen Wells
1: reading Hannah's story, Inside the Lives of Homeless Women in Aotearoa.
0: Rhianna Bush is told not to return to one of the only lifelines available to her, at least for the day. She's sitting against a concrete wall pointing at the yellow dotted line she's not allowed to cross. Beyond it is the Downtown Community Ministry, DCM building, a community service working with some of Wellington's most vulnerable people located down Luke's Lane. The day before, she got into a physical altercation with another regular after he began yelling abuse. That person, the instigator of the fight, was stood down for far longer. He really pushed her, but even on good days, her mental state can be fragile. Updates about a home, the things she needs most, can often tip her over the edge. Bush is trespassed from work and income offices too, so she's waiting on the curb for her card to access her benefit. A few minutes later, a DCM worker crosses the dotted line and hands her the envelope. $161, Bush says, opening it with a shrug. She's been trying to get her life on track and has been on the Kāinga order housing list for five years. She was offered a place about six months ago, but on the same day she was arrested for a crime she committed under pressure, she says. If you actually understood what is going on underneath all these layers, I'm doing so much for myself and for my community, Bush says. But it's really hard to remain faithful and good in an environment where it's full of corruption and still believe that there's hope and love and peace and kindness around all that rubbish. At first, you might think Bush is a staff member. During their drop-in hours, she's often greeting people at the door, dressed in well-kept, relaxed clothing. If I were to name the top five women I'm most concerned about in Wellington, Rowan McArdle, DCM's outreach team leader, says, Rihanna would be one of them. The 31-year-old doesn't fit the stereotype of someone experiencing homelessness, yet, as a woman, she's part of the 50.5% of Aotearoa's homeless population, according to Alan and Clark's literature review for Te Whare Nukunoa Wellington Homeless Women's Trust. The homeless are often invisible. Those you see on the streets make up a fraction, less than 4% of the more than 100,000 people across the country who don't have a home. But the number of homeless women are further warped because they're often more transient, says McArdle. Research shows women often face hidden challenges, living in cars, couch surfing, staying in abusive relationships, exchanging sex for a roof over their head or living in overcrowded shelters. Safety is often the driver keeping women from sleeping on the streets, while many also have children. 81.4% of women compared to 61.7% of men. But the notion of safety is relative. Almost every woman at the sharp end of chronic homelessness and mental health issues who McArdle sees through the DCM had stayed with abusive partners and experienced sexual assault. To complicate things, Men who are homeless, who use their service, could also be violent, which can be a barrier for women seeking help. Bush left home at 10 years old to escape an abusive household and has struggled with housing almost ever since. She attributes her homelessness to her drug use, which became heavy at 18. It was a coping mechanism, she says. But she also now recognises the trauma from being raped and assaulted while navigating life without a home. Bush has four children, but they're not in her care. This year, she's been saving for Christmas presents to give them through a social worker. The general manager of Te Whare Noa, Wellington Women's Homeless Trust knows she's hard on the women who stay at the whare. I'm tough love, Herea Tareha says. Every woman's experience was different, and that's what she had in mind in her walk programme at the 14-bedroom transitional housing in central Wellington individualised wraparound support, rooted in unearthing their aspirations and self-belief. The team works from a restorative approach rather than a punitive one. Tariha believes in empowerment, giving the women agency and tools needed to navigate the world in which they struggled to find their feet. I don't take no crap from these women, but I'll also let them know we're not your enemy. They don't think they're worthy or valued, Tariha adds. It was difficult when they were constantly being judged and had to beg the convoluted system for help. Women with bracelets and addictions, transgender women who were often disproportionately impacted by homelessness, could call on their unique 24-7 service. Addictions are an illness that won't be shaken off overnight. People's troubles don't go away after 5pm, Tariha says. But she frequently witnesses women get put in the too hard basket and given up on when they are most in need of support. Some would steal just to get caught because prison felt safer, she says. They won't get the help they need, they don't know where to go, they're breaking every rule in the book and they just continue their patterns. But what else can they do? She hates the idea that people need to fit a criteria to get help. The lack of support and follow through is what gets the women deeper into their circumstances, she says. It's not that these women are uneducated, they're smart, they're streetwise and they're survivors. It's also what often made them more invisible. Today on Newsable, in a Stuff exclusive, the mother of baby Rue, the toddler who died late last year in Wellington, has spoken on the record and says she did not kill her son. Plus, step aside, working from home, working from holiday seems to be the new trend. And I have an update on the USA's Cicada Geddon. For everything that's worth talking about, find and follow Newsable wherever you get your podcasts. Lisa Paranehi has been in her Newtown Social Housing flat for over two years. It's the longest she's had secure housing in a long time. Once inside, she doesn't want to leave. A heart condition means she dreads the 17 steps up to her flat. Sometimes it's too much, and she chooses to sleep in her friend's car instead. The 56-year-old returned to Wellington to be with her iwi, but has spent most of her life in and out of homelessness. I come from a beautiful family, she says. But she started to act out when a family member sexually assaulted her and left home when she was nine. I never felt so empty, lost and afraid. I had nobody. Paranahi had her first son at 14, who eventually became one of five. It's an intergenerational pattern. None of her seven sisters had reached 21 before they had children. The system took her son, who was raised by her family. She spent time in prison, in and out of homes, and often back on the street. She viewed 436 private rentals across Kerikeri, Northland and Whangarei, and all were declined. She says they'd take one look at you, and it's oh no. In 2021, Paranahi slept on Wellington streets for 58 nights, until an accidental confluence of police attention, media coverage and civic concern landed her the one-bedroom unit in Newtown. But it didn't stop her from spending some nights on the streets where she had family. Loneliness was the scariest thing about gaining a home. My extended family has been my family more than my own. I love my family, I'm close with them, but my extended family are my street people, she says. Since being housed, she has quit smoking and began writing more. She learnt to be honest with herself, then with others. And finally, she's reaching out to connect with her children. Wellington is where she wants to lay her head to rest. My love of my life is first and foremost myself, which has taken me a long time to realise, she says. I've been uffying everybody and now I need to uffy myself. Caroline Hediwini gets calls to housewomen when everything else is closed. The Kai of Fare Tiaki Wahine Refuge works around the clock, running the five-bedroom emergency housing and providing individualised safety plans. The refuge has a good relationship with other agencies and organisations supporting women in need, but after hours, it's Heriwini and her team picking up the phone. We have to find a bed. If there's no other beds left, we still have to find it, she says. They must also supply everything that goes with it, including transport, money and food. The refuge's role is to respond to women's immediate needs, assess the risk involved, the seriousness of that risk and what they need at that very moment. Women were often removed from their home despite being the victim of violence and the main caregiver of children – It is perceived as easier and quicker to remove a woman from their home and refer them to the refuge than trying to remove or relocate their partner, Hedy when he says. Once, she got a call from a police officer saying they'd removed a domestic violence victim from her home. Police took her to a bus stop and asked if she could be picked up. When a referral is made to us by a statutory agency who has the budget, the workforce, the power of the law, duty of care to take care of and hold accountable for victims and perpetrators, then use your might to keep everyone safe and not shift the responsibility onto the community, she says. Even in that state of heightened pain or trauma, women often have the safety of her partner, children or pets in mind. Hiriwini has taken money out of her own wallet to house both men and women after hours. It's not just the wahine who need help, it's their tāne too, she says. The Aotearoa New Zealand Homeless Action Plan, first published in 2020, notes central government is not always best placed to provide solutions. It values the approach of local agencies and people, aiming to provide support through a national framework. This enables service providers to have the autonomy to address the unique needs of their clients, many of whom are impacted by multiple forms of disadvantage, a Ministry of Housing and Urban Development spokesperson said. Homelessness for women is poorly understood, particularly for Māori and Pacific women, and it's difficult to quantify true numbers. The plan acknowledges there is a relationship between violence and homelessness in women, and one could lead to the other – Addressing homelessness required entire systems of support and housing to be functional, requiring a bigger picture approach and more holistic view. But there are no actions in the document which specifically addresses women, except supporting women who are leaving prison, something there could be many reasons for, Winnie says. There's no detail. Everybody has an idea, but there's so many holes. You could fly a jet plane through it. If you're going to identify a woman in prison then talk about some of the marginalisation that have caused them or contributed to the behaviour that's got them into that position, she says. Ministry initiatives include funding transitional housing for women, flexible funding to support parents and Fano in emergency housing, and identifying women as a priority in all three funding rounds of the $16.6 million Local Innovation and Partnership Fund supporting local work and projects responding to prevent homelessness. The action plan is being reviewed and an evaluation was expected to be completed by the end of 2023. Hedy Winnie worked in social work since she was 16, starting with voluntary work for Youthline and eventually spanning three decades working for Women's Refuge. She's observed women in abusive households, unable to feed their children, pay rent, or get them to school, drinking and smoking to cope with the pressure, as well as witnessing the patterns that contribute to intergenerational cycles of violence, like poverty, poor health, and homelessness. She sees a bigger picture of violence, mental, physical, and sexual, that is stemmed from colonialism and continues today. It's 182 years of Tangata Whenua being homeless, if you really want to talk about homelessness, she says. Heriwini thinks there is goodwill out there, but when a system hasn't been set up by Māori for Māori or by the community for the community, she doesn't foresee much change. You're not going to fix something that isn't broken for you, she says. It's still the round peg trying to fit in a square hole. The response by police and other statutory authorities might be well-intentioned, but good will doesn't always line up with the duty of care, she says. Good intentions can also cause harm. And so the cycle continues. The obligation, responsibility, and duty of care still falls on shoulders like hers. I think you're conflating a whole bunch of issues. You don't want to be held to account what, no, on okay, what, rising child abuse no, numbers. You can manipulate crime
1: statistics. No, I, I promised I wouldn't have a you if that got to Hang
0: into the National Party's no, attack line no, there. That, but I what, think it would be a resignation offence if I didn't deliver tax reduction. It, it, yeah, I'm not worried about it at all. That's, Nothing that's in there. On. That sits with you perfectly fine. That's, that's what we're focused on. Whatever happens in politics, the weird, the wonderful, the important, the thought-provoking, we got you. Listen to Tova wherever you get your podcasts. Wrapped in a brown and white checkered fluffy jumper, Liz holds up a sign asking for spare change for food and shelter. She sat in front of a central Wellington supermarket and says she's been homeless on and off for about a year. Liz only wants to share her first name and keeps her age vague. I'm in my 60s, she says. It wasn't her first time experiencing homelessness, having slept rough periodically with her so-called husband. She left their home after he cheated on her. Liz spent most nights couch surfing because she felt safer, and she only begged during the day. I'm one of the old streeties. The new ones don't hassle me, she says. When she was with her husband, it was difficult for her to have any financial independence. Meanwhile, a former abusive partner strained her relationship with her children. At least four of seven had a form of disability, some inflicted by their father, she says. But these days, she's slowly getting her daughters back into her life. Now she is on her own, she's on a benefit, and is beginning to beg less. She wants to save to be able to move into a place in Ōtaki, where she's from. I'm actually doing a lot better now. I feel a lot better, she says. In recent weeks, eight women moved out of Te Whare Nukunoa into their own Kainga Order apartments. It was the biggest group they've had move out at once. Staff would continue to support them in their adjustment, which comes with new challenges, including navigating jealousy from their peers. But while they prepared for the next woman to move in, the waiting list has also grown to record numbers. It's sat at 14, but they are getting new referrals every day. For Tuirani Rani Dunlop, alcohol and other drug practitioners at Te Whare Nukunoa, addressing the needs of the women she works with isn't just about housing. She's trialling providing a collective healing space for wahine from DCM and Te Whare Nukunoa. Conversations were facilitated by using Purako storytelling, specifically related to Atua wahine, goddess, as a way to connect, learn and understand their experiences. It also aims to create a space where wahine can feel empowered and grow through their shared experiences and knowledge. Most wahine in the Housing First cohort were aged 25 to 44, but increasingly, services are seeing older homeless women. Te Whare board chair Joe Cribb expects to see similar trends in the next census, with women representing over 50% of homelessness, more older women and a higher percentage of Māori and Pacifica. Government policy will continue to be ineffective unless it begins addressing gender differences in people's experience of homelessness, Cribb says. (laughs) Bush knows she is better when she's housed. With that stability, her drug usage has reduced or stopped entirely in the past. Loneliness took her back to her community back then, but now she yearns for the solace of her own company. Her biggest goal is to have a two bedroom apartment, maybe a barbecue and a space big enough to host dinners and have people stay. She quit drugs, at least temporarily, stop drinking alcohol, and quit smoking to try and get her life back on track. Because deep down, she believes that life is possible. But Bush has trespassed from almost every grocery store in Wellington, all work and income offices, blacklisted from emergency housing, and constantly robbed or her belongings destroyed. In 2023, she was jumped on by gang members in an alleyway, leaving her with a black eye and gashes on her face. She says that's just part of her life and she's used to it, but she feels everything collapsing in on itself, trying to get her mental well-being and housing on track. She pauses and slams a foot on the ground. I guess sometimes I'm envious, eh? I walk down the street, I see people living their life and living well, and in my mind, man, the desire to have that is so deep, she says. I've never said this out loud, but I honestly think that the people that I hang out with, the lifestyle I live, and the person I am, they don't match.
1: They don't match at all. That was Inside the Lives of Homeless Women in Aotearoa on The Long Read from Stuff, written by Hannah McCullum and read by Imogen Wells and produced by me, Philippa Tolly. This episode was edited by Connor Scott. If you listen via our website, you can hear this story and more like it on the Long Read podcast, and that's available on all the usual platforms. If you follow the podcast, you'll get the latest episode automatically. The story was made possible by subscribers to The Post. If you want to support more beautifully told New Zealand stories, go to thepost.co.nz. Thanks for listening. Ka kite anō.
0: If you liked listening to this pod, help us
1: make more like this. Visit stuff.co.nz support. Prepare for an unfiltered
0: journey through the harsh realities of infertility. My name's Nadine Higgins. I'm a broadcaster, a journalist, and I've been trying to make a baby with my husband.
2: That's me. I'm Dan. And we reckon infertility is lonely enough without making it a dirty little secret.
0: In The Human Race with Dan and Nadine Higgins, we share raw and unvarnished stories of couples who have faced the brutal truth of infertility. it's, It's really tough and really lonely. Yeah, and also, this is really weird, but baby showers? You don't need to open the presents in front of everyone. Confronting the harsh reality that not every story has a happy ending.
1: This very blunt abrasive doctor who I had you know had not seen before who delivered the news it's just like you'll probably never have a natural period again and you'll probably never have a baby.
0: The human race where we share the untold stories of couples in the race of their lives to create a life. I feel like I nearly missed out and I got to do it and so I feel really lucky so it's been incredibly positive. Listen today at stuff.co.nz slash the human race or wherever you get your podcasts. The Human Race is proudly brought to you by Elevit.